to another week on the radio. This is uh, Swing Thoughts. Great to be with you on TSN 1150 and, of course, our loyal Swing Thoughts podcast audience. My name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. Uh, I call myself Golf Spiritual Leader because no one else will <laughs> as well. Uh, with me is my good friend and mental performance coach, uh, Tim O'Connor from O'ConnorGolf.ca. Uh, always uh, great to be with you, sir. Yeah, good to see you. How, how, I think, is this week six of the zombie apocalypse lockdown? You know, that is, really <laughs> that is a very good question. I, oh, I and lost what day track. is it, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I get I just every day is like I go on the radio. I do this show with you, and then it's somehow Saturday, Sunday. Then we do it again. Uh, I hope uh, everyone listening, you're healthy, staying strong. Hope your families are as well. Uh, I know it seems trite to say or whatever, but I don't think it can be said enough how lucky we are that other people, healthcare people, are putting themselves in harm's way so that one day we can recover. So I thank them officially on behalf of Swing Thoughts. Absolutely. And uh, I always I always say thank you when I go through the grocery line to the clerks. And sometimes they feel they look sort of like almost embarrassed. But I don't know. I think it's important to be said. I, I do, too. And, you know, this is not I'm not making this up. I had a buddy of mine say I uh, was out for lunch a couple years ago with him. He's a deep thinker like yourself, myself. And in at the end of the meal. We were sort of kidding around with the wait staff, and he just said to to the person serving us, he said, "Hey, thank you for your service." And I and I liked I liked the way it sounded, and I have adopted that. I, I stole it from him, and I've oh, been yeah, I've been saying that to people, certainly now, but I, I I think it's a nice thing to say to people that are of service to us. Absolutely, it says that you see them. You know, they're not, they're not just some. Uh, you know, cog in the machine of getting me between, you know, getting me my coffee. I started to adopt something that I got from Rick Young, a golf writer. Uh, what a what a beauty Rick is. Uh, just He's got this just great approach to life and people. And so whenever he goes anywhere, and let's say someone has a name tag, hey, Steve, how's it going, Steve? <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> no, it's the greatest. It is. It, it, it makes you see like I see you yep. as a person, you know, and and I actually also adopted a matter of whenever, you know, Tim Hortons or wherever. I ask the person, look them in the eye and say, how are you today? And I wait for an answer as opposed to, you know, I'm going to have a grande whatever. I don't know. No, I Just, think that's a great point. I, I, I think that is why I do it, too. I want the person that is in my proximity to know that it's not like it's the checkout person at the grocery store. It's the person that serves you. And and, and to your point, now more than ever, uh, this is a show about golf. It's actually a show about a particular part of the game of golf, and that is the mental performance side. Although we acknowledge uh, the physical because uh, we're both sponsored and we're both our show is sponsored by uh, TaylorMade Golf. Uh, so many things to talk about. But when this all gets figured out, make sure you take advantage of the TaylorMade Performance Labs in Woodbridge and Oakville. Visit TaylorMadeFitting.ca and book the ultimate fitting experience. Uh, both uh, Coach Tim and GSL, we've both taken advantage of this. And it's like it's like a thing a golfer should do, not just for their bucket list, but to improve and make sure they're, they have the right stuff. 
Oh, it's an amazing experience. Just by changing the shafts, you can see with the numbers the difference it makes in clubhead speed, in your trajectory, your ability to say to work the ball. Oh, it, it's such a cool experience for a golf nerd. Everybody should go through it. Now, you've got your driver and your hats and balls and gloves. I've got my 790 irons and a driver and a three-wood. It's so it's like, I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like a kid at Christmas that got a new bike, but it, it's snowing out, so he can't use it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, I can't wait. Got my nose pressed against the window. I got one, one thing. I got the uh, the new balls, the TP5 picks balls you know they have like these little icons on yeah. it to help you see it and anyways i got the ball i got the package and i looked at it and went hmm cart path alignment well hmm i guess you could use the cart path and then i reread it went oh clear path alignment <laughs> right that is <laughs> all that little mystery I love that story because, you know, one. They, here's the thing. They're good balls, but if you hit a bunch of cart paths, maybe those aren't the best balls for you. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and don't forget the all-new Sim and Sim Max drivers. You've seen McElroy and Dustin Johnson, Tiger Woods all using these. They really do look differently. They reshape your game. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn about the new Shape in Motion family of TaylorMade products. Uh, it's time to get to our golf, uh, our guest today. He is a uh, golf professional who has a, a different way of looking at the game. He's a deep thinker about the game, and I, I certainly uh, I've met him in person only a few times. He uh, works at a a place uh, where our friend Mark Evershed works out of sometimes uh, in Etobicoke. Oh, his, cool! His company is called Synergy Golf, and Paul Cummings is joining us today on TSN 1150 and on our podcast. Hey, Paul. Good morning. How are you? Um, we're great. You know, you and I sort of connected once or twice about, you know, talking about this type of thing. Uh, as a guy that teaches people how to swing a golf club, where does the uh, interest in the other aspects of the game, where does that come from? And maybe give us a little background as to how you came to be a golf professional. Well, thank you. Um, it really comes from my background in Scotland. Uh, you'll hear from the accent that I'm a real one. Um, and I trained as a caddy, actually, at St. Andrews, um, which was my real introduction back into golf. I was always a golfer, but never coached the game until later in life. And uh, through the caddying aspect of it, you learn so much more about the game that, that, that they don't really teach. It's almost the unwritten rules of golf. And... Um, the whole idea about me with synergy, and I don't know if you know understand the word, but it's the whole, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So when you use all of the other little aspects, ideas, philosophies, strategies in golf, it, you become a better golfer. And it's purely, I got very um, disconcerted with the way it was going in terms of how technical golf coaching has become. Now, clearly, I can, I can teach how to swing, but I think there's so much more to it than that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love I love that word that synergy. It's so it's kind of like would you say it's kind of holistic? Absolutely. And and the biggest thing for me is that it's the tiniest little changes um, can make you a better golfer without having to swing the club like the best on the TV. You know. Why do you think? And maybe Tim, you can and take a stab at this for uh, for others as well. What is it about? the minutia of the golf motion that we get stuck. And I think, Timmy, you've 
mention this, or it sounds like something you may have mentioned. It's like we get on a loop of this mechanical, I need to fix this, and if I can just fix this, then I can shoot better golf scores. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's one of the mysteries of the game of why we do this. Uh, I think part of it is is that this, this little white orb sits down there, and we need to hit it, and we have all this time to think about how we're going to do it. I think that's part of it, as opposed to being a reaction sport. But I, I honestly, it'd be very interesting to know the culture of how we started to get into this insert tab A into slot B minutia, just as you said. Uh, I, I honestly don't know. I, it, at some stage, people were just, you know, the Scots, there you go, were whacking sticks against rocks and balls and just doing it. And then someone said, hey, you know, I think you're swinging a little bit from the outside. You're coming in and losing, <laughs> yeah. losing your lag and stalling down there. Now, if you did this. Yeah, that's a, that shepherd <laughs> stick you're using, I don't think it fits you. It's um, the wrong flex for you. Hey, it Paul, really is. <laughs> and what about you, Paul? Like, what is it about the, uh, as you said, you know, we get so fixated on mechanics that we don't see all the other things that go into making us golfers. Yeah, well, you just have to go on YouTube for five seconds and you fall down a rabbit hole of, of the inordinate amount of, of information that's out there. Um, and again, it goes back to Bob Rotel and it goes back to, to people who have talked about the game before. You know, the handicap really hasn't come down just by using that one mode of, of teaching and learning. Um, I think, you know, one of my heroes in the game is Fred Schumacher. And I heard Tim, one of the podcasts you did, uh, talking about being there. I actually did the training course with him, too. Oh, and cool. loved, every, loved every single minute of it. And the one thing that I, I remember from that is that he never gave me one piece of physical um, information. He didn't give me one idea as to how to swing the golf club. And, and his whole philosophy is based on the fact that you already have enough information within you. And I think we're, we're seeking to get better externally. We're trying to find other things that will help us instead of just doing it ourselves and knowing that we can do it ourselves. And, and that's where part of my thing comes from in that, you know, I'm trying to teach people, I'm trying to teach the human being rather than the golf. And if they suddenly remember that they can, they're perfectly capable of doing this and they get out of their own way, then, then that immediately makes a huge change. Yeah, well, we sing from the same hymn book. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, I think that what, what I love about Fred is is he really speaks that as human beings, we're whole and complete. we got everything we need. That golf swing we're searching for is not out there. We're not going to find it on YouTube. It's within us. And through our own growing of awareness, tapping into what we already have, we're going to find that golf swing and allow it to happen. You know, and I think that's very difficult for people to grasp because they instinctively think that they have to look outside. They believe they're broke. They well, I was going to say that. You know, you're you're right because a lot of people who become golfers come to it from that standpoint, and, and it's I'm broken. My swing is broken. If I could fix it, I could fix myself. You know, I've had a chance. We've had Fred on the show, and I've had a chance to talk to Fred as Tim has. Uh, privately and have some Fred coaching. And as a tournament player, I spent quite a bit of time with Fred last uh, summer and late summer and fall, and we talked about everything but what was going on in my golf swing. Although I will say this, 
Shoemaker is just like the rest of us. He loves to hit golf balls, boy. He loves to nerd out about golf just like anyone else, but he knows where to put it. Do you know what I mean, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He, yeah, you're 100% correct. A lot of people think that Fred would never have a mechanical thought in his head. No. Fred thinks that he's swinging under the plane. Yes, he'll videotape himself. And he'll do it in slow-mo, and he'll do everything he needs to get so he swings on plane. Yep. But he knows that that comes from his own experience. It's not from trying to match some kind of model he sees on YouTube. It's from what happens for Fred. How does his awareness grow? How does he go from, okay, I'm under the line here. Now, what's going on here, and how do I tap into that? How does that land for you, Paul? I absolutely agree. I think the um, there's there seems to be two th- schools of thoughts in golf. It's technique or it's mental, but clearly it's both mm-hmm. and com- and combined. And I think he talks about awareness a lot. If you don't understand your movement, you'll never you'll never get there. You have to have awareness of every little piece of it. And again, you know, going back to the synergy concept, it's exactly that. It's everything combined. So clearly, technique is vitally vitally important. But it's not everything. It's not um, everything. But it's not. It's neither is it just solely mental. You know, if you can't just suddenly go, I'm a great golfer, and suddenly you are, it doesn't work like that. It's a combination of all these little factors. So, so Paul, what do you, how do you work with, say, the novice to the intermediate player who listens to a discussion like this, and how do they how do they kind of get started on being able to get out of their own way so they're not so bound up by mechanics what how do you get someone started so they can feel some degree of freedom in their movement and and access their natural ability i think the biggest thing when i start with certainly with beginners is is to give them the the ownership of it but also give them a chance to realize that it's okay to make mistakes and but really kind of help them along the path um with with constant feedback, constant um, motivation, and and the minute they start to get in frustration and anger and doubt and worry and panic and and all that fun stuff, you you have to get them out of that state. You have to keep their state in the right place. I think. And and one thing we never talk about, and I'm I'm trying to talk about it in my my new post on Instagram, is state management. State management's more important than course management because the course is the course, but your state is up to you. Um, I want to comment on so many things, uh, but what you just said, and we'll talk about what Paul's been doing on Instagram. And even though Paul and I connected a few years ago in person and, you know, we had some great conversations much like this, I, I follow Paul on Instagram, Synergy Golf. And what Paul has endeavored to do is put out a different thought. I wouldn't say tip every day for 365 days. So we'll talk about that in a second. But what you just said about state management. So I think I mentioned this to you, Timmy, during this lockdown. I'm trying to read a bunch of different books. And I, and I read, I've been reading the book that McElroy recommended, The Obstacle is the Way. You know, he was talking about one day at his press conference, some of the stuff he's been reading. And isn't it interesting that the stuff we talk about on Swing Thoughts, whether it's you, Doolin, Shoemaker, and now Paul, it's all about the choices we have as golfers slash people to 
decide in the moment what what we have control over our state and really not much else. <laughs> well, it goes back to the discussion with Paul last uh, Paul do we have a succession of Paul's here um, is taking care of the controllables. Yes. And so often what happens in terms I'm going to so going back to what Paul Cummings just said about state management if I'm unaware of my state it has me. I don't have it. So if if I'm feeling anxiety on the first tee but I don't really am aware of it. If I'm not aware that my heart is beating fast, that I'm I, my arms and shoulders are tense and I don't really have any a good chance at all of of hitting a good shot in that state. But if I can become aware of that state, now I have a degree of control over it that just starts with being aware of it. True, I would say true. You can say yourself, you can feel nerves on the first tee and have a, a bit of awareness. But what this, uh, I think it's Ryan French, the guy that wrote the book, he's saying, yeah, okay, so you're aware of it, but you should, the, the next level of awareness is knowing that you're making a choice to be that way. And you yeah. also have a choice to go in another direction. Uh, what do you think of that, Paul Cummings? I absolutely agree. Again, I think um, my post yesterday was was very much in this kind of realm. Um, I did a seminar. At, I was at Oakville Golf Club for a couple of seasons, and um, I asked about emotional states on the golf course. And I, you know, once I generated some trust with my group that had assembled, you know, we got into it, and it was it was so easy for them to write negative emotional states. It was it was a flood of 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 you know panic, anxiety, nervousness. Um, one lady said resignation, which just about I had to sit down when she said that resignation was her overriding sense on the golf course. Now you've got no chance to mm-hmm. play golf at any at any level with that in your mind. So and and when we got around to thinking about positive states, it was it was like pulling teeth trying to get an answer out. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Of what they could be like, you know, because it's so alien to them, you know. Because um, guarantee there's not much resignation when the guys are playing at the Ryder Cup or playing the last round of the majors. They're not resigned at any stage, you know. So I think it's I think it's a choice for us all to to to. I mean, we're meant to be having fun out there. <laughs> you know, I, so I know. I know, it's, oh, but what a bizarre concept. What a bizarre concept. Dude, I'll, I'll tell you one thing before you say something, Tim. No other sport do people have to be told, hey, this is supposed to be fun. <laughs> I wrote about that in a blog last week about playing with my dad, how I always I always tried to really impress him and his buddies. Look how good I am. And, you know, I'd be such a basket case of tension. You know, by the back nine, it brewed my dad would say, hey, let's just have fun. I went. Really? There's got to be something in my backswing. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I'd have more fun if I wasn't taking it so far on the inside. Come on. Exactly. And if I pronated as opposed to supinated, that would be yeah. it. Um, but, you know, you just listen to the way people talk to themselves, whether it's on a golf course or in business or whatever. We all have this. Our brains are on, set on a negative bias. You think of you, a bunch of guys get together, have a beer after. How was your round? Oh, I left so many putts out there. So we actually have to teach people the skill of how to talk to themselves the right way. So instead of blah, 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 go, how about this? How about, you know, on number 10, I just nailed my drive. I felt so good. And then just just that the, the approach set up really nicely and the, the hole looked like a bushel basket. 
wouldn't that be a different way to ingrain not necessarily positive thoughts, but a positive experience so we can relive them? How, how's that land for you, Paul Cummings? Um, one of my early posts, I think it was in the first week, uh, I mentioned writing, trying to write down your best three shots, mm. either ever or in every round. So what I did at Oakville was, was pretty successful. I did a caddy lesson uh, rather than a playing lesson, and I define it as a caddy lesson because I didn't play. Uh, I would caddy for the player. So we would play nine holes, and I would caddy for them and give them some feedback on how they play. But then towards the end, I would ask them what were the best three shots they hit in that round. And for some, it's a struggle. Um, but, you know, you, but in most rounds of golf, there are some wonderful shots. And you can recount them. And the, the, the reinforcement for me is that it's not coming from somewhere else. It's not coming from externally. It's coming from within you. You were actually there in that shot. So over time, I wrote a journal for a long time. And I wrote down the best three shots of the round every time I played. Mm-hmm. So over time, you develop a book full of wonderful shots. Because, look, guys, we all know we have a million bad shots in our repertoire. <laughs> You know, and we can recant and recite them um, and for sport or for fun and, and be self-deprecating, but we're still putting ourselves down. Absolutely. And there's something about guys uh, in general, but and women go through this too, but, you know, we've talked about this as well, Paul, that there's so much energy, negative energy given to your bad shots that it becomes imprinted 100%. on us. We wear it. It's in us, and yet we're shy about celebrating a great shot in front of. Oh, you don't want to be a braggart, and and for and something about for some reason we'll accept societally, you know, me or somebody freaking out and throwing a club in a bush. Yeah, I've done it. That doesn't seem to be as bad as if I went. Did you guys see that? Exactly. But journaling about it gives you the private opportunity to go. You know what, man? That was a pretty big. That was a cool moment when I did that. Because you can relive the experience of yes. it. That what your body felt like, what 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 was going on, what did you what were you feeling yeah. as opposed to what were you processing through your noodle. But it gives you a, a, a visceral 100%. If you can, Yeah, if you can make a visceral leap to excellence, what Paul I think is saying is that then you start to build up a library of some not some good thoughts, good feelings around the game versus oh crap here we go again and just just real quick paul i'm gonna ask you about this but it's not just mental performance coaches and people that that do this stuff i asked fred couples at the canadian open about 25 years ago kind of about his process and he said if he had a five iron in his hand he would think about and relive the best five iron shot he ever hit and absolutely and he'd just go and hit it so, and there's nothing better than that because it's based on his own on his own experience. Hundred uh, percent. We're with uh, Paul Cummings, and I'm just looking at the clock here. We got to take a break for our radio audience. Uh, originally, we were going to wrap it up here with you, Paul, but we're going to call an audible and have you hang around uh, for just a couple more minutes because I really think I want people to follow what you're doing on Instagram because it's quite a project. Everyone, I know some guys that'll start the year going, okay, I'm going to write something every day for a year. And then, you know, March, they're like, I'm done. This is hard. 
So like uh, podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, I can't tell you guys how many ex-broadcasters have come to uh, Fred and I and said, uh, you know, I want to do a podcast. And then, you know, six in, they're like, this is too much trouble. Exactly. Uh, so we'll take a break here. It's uh, Swing Thoughts on TSN 1150. Always a pleasure to have you along. Of course, brought to you by the all-new SimMax and SimMax OS Irons. Distance you have to feel to believe. Visit tailormadegolf.ca to learn about the new echo damping system and speed bridge technology. This is the real thing, everybody. And we'll come back more with uh, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. And Paul Cummings. It's Swing Thoughts on TSN. You get a shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park. But meantime, sound of the river, you're stopping your whole everything. Once again, the uh, golf season uh, is on hold, but we're here to help you get a hold of uh, some ideas and notions around becoming a better player in 2020. When things resume, this is Swing Thoughts, uh, brought to you by TaylorMadeGolf.ca, uh, the all-new Sim and Sim Max Fairway. You know, I've heard, Timmy, I've heard people talking about this. Listen, all their, their woods are great. Uh, the fairway woods, though. I've heard people talking about this on the internet. The um, new hybrid that some of the tour players, uh, McElroy was using it, Tigers used it. It has some kind of secret, you know, something's going on with it that's making it go. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I was talking to the guys at TaylorMade. They can't get enough of them. Everyone, everyone wants the hybrid as well. Uh, make sure once you get a chance to uh, go into a, a golf store again, uh, it has got some kind of mythical uh, distance to it. So I'm yeah, trying, hey folks. And if you if you still have like a four iron in your bag, take it the hell out. Get out. Put it a hybrid. How in dare there. you? Come on, make it easier on yourself. Even don't G- try and be don't try and be <laughs> such a uh, such a legend in your own mind. Listen, even GSL. I got rid of my three iron last year. I'm using this hybrid. I love it. Uh, Paul Cummings is with us, our guest today. He's a, a deep thinker about golf, a golf professional, formerly a caddy at St. Andrews. How good is that cred? Um, That's so cool. Uh, you know, I've only played it one time, Paul, and this was years ago, speaking of long irons. And I was with my father, and the, the caddy came to us, and he, he took my one, – one caddy took my dad's clubs, and my caddy came up to me. He says, I can t- – I won't do the accent, but he says, I can tell you're a good – he said, I can tell you're a good player. And I said, how can you tell that? You haven't even seen me swing. He said, it's the first tour, and I've seen it in a bag all summer. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, we used, to, we used to look for the marks on the golf clubs before we even teed off with people. We would hunt for the, 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 you know, the, the mark in the middle of the club to know that you weren't going to be in the bushes all day. <laughs> oh, that's great. You can see the sweet spot if it had any activity. Uh, Tim, o- <laughs> Tim O'Connor's with us here on TSN from uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca. And uh, my name is uh, Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show on our sister station, Funny 820, and on a, a several Bell Network uh, stations, as well as HumbleandFredRadio.com. We've been doing this podcast a long time, and we invited Paul to come on because for the last, I don't know, since January 1st, Paul has endeavored to put up a different 
not tip, but a notion, an idea, a concept called, what is it? title is 365? Yeah, Synergy Golf 365. Synergy Golf 365. Uh, Synergy is uh, Paul's company. And uh, you can, uh, if people want to get a hold of you for a lesson or a, uh, a mental uh, session, how do they do that? Well, the, the website is synergygolf.ca. Uh, I'm also, you can just direct message me on Instagram or uh, it was Paul at Synergy Golf would be my okay. email address. So, so thank you, Paul. We, we, I think it's a, an interesting idea, and I started following you uh, a few months ago. And the odd time I'll comment. You know, I like to let you know I'm out there, and I like all your because it's all. I'm I, now that Tim's on it. I'll, I think you'll see Tim that it's basically in our wheelhouse. And so I asked you uh, during the break, why don't you have a look at one of Paul's uh, postings, and we can and I'll do the same, and maybe we can discuss some of the. I don't know how many of you probably you, you've passed a hundred easily, haven't you? It's uh, day 115. Today. 115. So Timmy, yeah, I like to. I was looking at the one about. Uh, chipping, and I love the phrase. I'm dancing on the typewriter, type rope over the chasm of going technical. Um, and, and I think why I like this one is, you know, while we're waiting for the golf season to start, um, I think May 12th, I think is when the emergency is lifted in Ontario. But so we got another couple of weeks. Um, this one here, where you talk about hitting about 50 or 30 balls into a net. So I think a lot of people think that, well, they, they're going to be working on, say, keeping a flat left wrist or a hinge right wrist or something and chipping and, and working on a technical piece. But what is the objective in hitting that many balls over and over again into a chipping net? So thank you for mentioning the first line in that. I, I, I made a very specific commitment in these 365 pieces to not go technical at all. I think there's enough technical information out there. I wanted to bring something else to the table. Um, so I'm getting very close to talking technically when you think about hitting 50 balls in a row. But what I wanted to talk about in there is where your mind wanders, because I'm very aware of that myself. You know, part of the reason I'm, I'm into the mental side of this game and, the, and the, the, all the different ideas around how you get better is that I've struggled too. I think we all have struggled at times. That's why you do it. <laughs> well, yeah, but it actually quantifies me because I know that I've struggled and I know what other people are going through. But, you know, you you make mistakes in chip shots not necessarily based on your technical ability. It's based on a sudden thought halfway through or you jump to some other um, piece that you haven't put in play in the practice ring or the rehearsal. And then suddenly it, it crops up and, and you chunk it or you blade it or you do different things. So it was really about noticing what happens if you're hitting the same shot over and over and over. Yeah, I think one of the really valuable things about what you're talking about here is this awareness piece, because so many people <clears throat> are so frustrated that they can go to the practice green and hit a, a, a lot of chips really well. And then they go to the golf course and suddenly it means something. You know, right. it counts on the NASA or whatever it is. And they blade yet another one or chunk it. And to me, it's understanding what's the difference in the experience between freewheeling around the practice screen and, and chipping for what it means. Timmy, so how, do, Tim, how does that work? Hang on a second, Paul. I want to ask you, Timmy, because I, I know one day I, I've watched you teach coach uh, I, I, a guy we both know that was having some trouble. So what is the key difference for people? 
A lot of is it, it is a consequence. A, a lot of it is consequence for sure. And and but unfortunately, what they're also grasping, what their brain goes to, is the last time that they had something like this, and they suffered a basically. It's going to sound weird. They suffered a trauma. Yeah. They've bladed across the green, and they felt bad about it, and they get this emotional hit. And what happens is they stand over the ball, and they, they're back in that experience of that emotional hit. And what happens is everything about, oh, God, I don't want to go through this again. Mm-hmm. And so then they start to focus on the minutia and do it right out of their fear. You know, so, if Paul, if I may just uh, respond quickly to Tim, you know, one of the things I've noticed, and I want to hear what you guys have to say about this. So what you just described, a lot of amateurs will hit a bad shot, blade it, fat it. They're trying to get it on the green, and it doesn't happen. And then you see how they spiral out of control. And all of a sudden, if you, and it's all happened to all of us, all three of us, where the next few minutes seem to happen very quickly. And, all, and before you know it, you've made a triple, and you've been back and forth across the green. One thing I've noticed that really high-level players do, tour players on television do, because they hit bad shots, but then they stop, and it takes them a long time before they hit the next one. Now, is that because they have better awareness, or they know that that has to be put away, and so they can go to the next shot with a a clean slate. So why don't you start, Paul? I think that's as much to do with repetition of a routine. So they've done their routine to rehearse a shot so many times and they've done it well and had a great outcome that they're more prepared to be able to 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 tap into that again and i think we but they're human beings they feel but they're human they feel humiliation they feel red face they get their heart rate but you watch them they are very methodical before they go again yeah but i think that's it it's the it's the the method that they're using gets them to think about the right things again mm-hmm. instead of you know you you have to overwrite i always think that you have to overwrite program right. by getting, you know and talk about i talk about pre-shot a lot and it's one of the categories that i'm using in, in synergy 365 is you know what is your process what is your pre-shot routine and what's in there and as soon as people start to identify things that they've they're saying to themselves and mostly in a negative sense. They're like, I hope I don't do this, and let's not do that, and I, I chunk the last one. And as soon as they realize not to put that language in there, it gets easier because then you put your mind into a place that's actually going to help rather than hinder. Yeah, well, I just want to get some clarification. I said, when you said they're thinking about the right things, my experience with really good players is they're not thinking, like I said before, oh, on this next one, I better keep my left wrist flat. And I better keep my hinged. By those things, what in their process? What are you, what are you, sensing that they're working on? Uh, thanks, Tim. To, to clarify that, it's it's important that it's not a technical thought. I think that's that's more important, certainly for me. It's about what the shot entails. What are you trying to achieve with the club? You know, have you got the right club in your hand? What's your landing spot? How far are you going to take it back and through? And then that goes into rehearsal swing. I mean, some people have said never take a practice swing, which I, I must admit, that's that's not in my game at all. I have to have a practice swing. You have to. I think you have to rehearse the move because yeah. then you're presetting in your mind that you can do it. And I know there's other other theories on that, but I certainly think when you walk up to a putt and just smash away at it, you've got no concept of how far the ball is going to go. Well, you know what, Paul? I, I don't know that I like. I think McElroy 
hasn't putted this well for a long time, and he's got this, you know, no practice swing method. What I will say, though, <clears throat> back to the chunked, chipped, blade, whatever, you'll notice that tour players and elite players, the more, the closer they get to the green, the more practice swings they make. I've noticed. So when they have a shot, a pitch shot, a, the more difficult that shot is, man, you see them feeling it. You know, they're trying. Is, is that partially to get used to the terrain, the turf, yeah. the grass growing with them, against them? A hundred percent. It's partly like they're they're we're we're calculating and we're we're triangulating the shot. But boy, uh, to what uh, O'Connor talks about is feeling it in your body, man. You're rehearsing and getting awareness in your your your. I just noticed, man. If they have a really difficult shot, they're just taking. Tiger will take. I love the the phrase priming swings. He will prime that motion until he feels like okay. That's the motion, and when what they do is they go okay. I've got it in the computer. Now I'll go execute it. Yeah, and I think the, um, the 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 scary thing from the mental approach and the mental side of it is that people have to practice that too. Yes, and, and it's not just it's not as easy as just saying, "Oh, just do that." Just think of this. That has to be practiced and failed, and you'll fail. But as soon as you realize what you're doing in there and what you're saying, can I tell you a quick story about Oakville? I, I don't know if you played Oakville Golf Club, but. Is that the nine-hole private yeah, course? Yeah, so good. I was going to tell you, if, if you haven't I played it, it, it's I love oh, it. I have played it. It's really it. cool. Yeah, it's great. It's a great little track, and I was there for two years. And I, on the fourth hole, there's a set of trees, and I ended up with my, for want of a better phrase, backside in between two trees. And I had a shot, but it was ridiculous. It was very upright and it was 150 yards and I think I had a forearm in my hand to try and execute the shot. It took me forever whilst the other two pros were laughing at me. But it took me so long that I hit the perfect shot. I hit it right in the middle of the green. Now, what struck me about that is it took me a long time to preset that move because it was very different. Now, I suddenly thought if I'd been in, you know, 100 yards in the middle of the fairway, how many, you know, how many swings would I have made on a relatively straightforward wedge. Right. And I think that if you just suddenly took the, the energy and into the pre-shot and the practice and the rehearsal and the getting your mindset, you know, how many better shots would you hit? Well, isn't that... that doesn't mean grinding and taking three minutes. No. No, not at all. Not at all. No. But it's putting your focus on the right thing. No, what yeah. you I, what what you said there, and, and I think we've all experienced this, is sometimes when we're trying to get out of trouble, all of a sudden the energy and focus becomes very acute. Sharper. Sharper. Yeah. Uh, when I have a 118-yard, you know, wedge, I'm like, I don't, you know, it's like a pretty stock shot, so maybe my acuity isn't as uh, in play. Uh, one thing before we let you go. Okay, here's the one I picked out that I loved, and it's funny because I remember seeing this. This is 10 days ago. And the, the headline was uh, on your Instagram was, where do your shots go? So maybe you can explain what you were talking about, because it really resonated with me. And it's for people that play the same course all the time or your home course, wondering about thinking about your usual game there. And I don't think enough of us do. So explain what you were getting to. Well, certainly being at a club like Oakville, the, the, the members that play the same golf course very often they play the same place a lot and I'm sure even for guys who don't have a membership at a place will play the same golf courses a lot 
but they tend to, you know, they just hit the same club off the same tee without thinking about the the day or the shot itself. Um, and then they just and they hit it in the same trouble spots every time. Yeah. So again, going back to Oakville, the par uh, the third hole, the par four, which is basically a par five for everybody at the club, apart from Lars, who I know well, and I know you guys have talked about Lars Melander a lot. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, Lars. You know, he's the only one that doesn't get a shot. You know, us included. So, mm-hmm. and everybody plays it like a par four, and they smash it straight into the first trap on the right side, without thinking about any other option. So, you know, where do your shots go is, you know, where do they actually end up? What, mm-hmm. do you, what shots do you end up hitting all the time? Um, and a lot of these posts are linked. And some of them, to be very frank, are very, very basic. I mean, one of them was go and get a new glove. I mean, that's not rocket science, but, you know, you see people <laughs> pull an old glove out of their pocket and they're in. But these posts are all linked. So this one links to, you know, what clubs have you got in your bag that don't serve you? I think there's a lot of a lot of people with clubs that they cannot hit in their back. But you know what, Paul? I, I want you to know this was ten days ago and I have thought about that post quite a bit. You know, I'm going to sleep thinking, you know, if I if I think of my home course where do, where do my yeah like I'm the only one like oh, please, yeah, exactly. just stop it <laughs> don't, don't, let's not pretend I'm the only one that's not putting in this hallway anyway I uh, I've been thinking about this Paul because I'm like where when I get in trouble on certain holes at my home course where do those shots go traditionally and why do they go there because because I just get up and mindlessly sort of think, well, I always hit three wood off this tee, I'll just cut it off that bunker, blah, 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 and then, oh, crap, I'm in that left trap. Whereas I thought, well, maybe this year I don't need to hit that club. Maybe I'll just to look at the holes you normally play in a fresher way. Right, and that's linked to that's linked to your overall decision that you make before you can play golf, which is, you know, what's my round going to be today? Am I going to go, you know, fully aggressive and go for every shot and go for 200-yard carries over water and all that. But you have to make that decision to start with. So I think you have to make a different decision on a par five. Most people instinctively pull driver right. without looking at the consequences because it's a long hole, so they accept that they have to hit it far. Yeah. But if you hit three five-irons, you would potentially get up and around the green and you'd be okay. But that's also it's speaking just, to... It's like a total disconnect. When you get in the right. golf, you just by rule, do the same thing as you always did. True. Right. But we're also, so again, we're talking about awareness. So in some rounds of golf, you have days where it's green light. You just like the swings in the slot. You're hitting it solid. Almost every opportunity is a green light special. And then some, you have days where oh, amber. Yeah, I'm just not missing it as well. So you react to that. And I think a lot of that is being taken. Where are you at that day, and being being aware of it? Uh, because if you're if you've got situations that are uh, it's surely an amber situation, and you got the pedal down for green, but you don't have it that day, hmm. <laughs> then again, we're back to that choice point. Sure, and I think you know. Remember, I'm trying to I'm trying to broad brush this to every golfer on the planet, so. There are so many different levels of golfer that are more aware of those things, and 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 I'm trying to pitch them so even the the amateur and the high handicap amateur can take something from this. Absolutely, um, Synergy Golf and Synergy Golf three six five. I'm sorry, I don't have. Is it? It's uh, on on Instagram. Your Paul Cummings. No, he's Synergy Golf. Synergy Golf on Instagram. Uh, it's now day one fifteen. You said it will be. Yeah. 
All right. Well, listen, we appreciate you taking some time with us, and hopefully this will help get you some more uh, Instagram followers. I know that's important to everybody. <laughs> so I know that's I, – I, I would tell you guys the story of my daughter's dog, but it will just blow your freaking mind. It's just insane. My daughter has a, a little chihuahua, and she's in marketing. And uh, at the beginning of this year, she started posting pictures of her dog and various sort of some of it is uh, photoshopped in various outfits. And, and she puts funny little captions on. And I thought, oh, that's cute. You know, I was thinking, you know, that's cute. Well, how, who's going to follow that? As of today, she has 156,000 Instagram followers. So I don't know anything. Hey, just like back in the days when I was a, a, a journalist, what sells stories in newspapers? Kids and pets. <laughs> That's right. So I, I, all I know is I said to Fred, I said, we got to get that dog on our show. <laughs> uh, Synergy Golf 365. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. All the best to you. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks, guys. See you soon. I hope Thanks, that was Paul. good. Really all the best. Now you just go away, Zoom meetings. I don't know. People just goodbye. It's, I don't know what Zoom etiquette is. Just we don't. It's just hard. Sometimes you're not sure. You, you're supposed to just end the meeting now. You go away. <laughs> there we go. I don't know. I removed him. It gives me such a feeling of power. I had a uh, Zoom meeting with my men's night guys again this week. First week we awesome. did it was about three or four weeks ago. We had maybe six or seven on Wednesday. We had climbing of 19 men all yelling at the same time. It was it was something. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, boy. You know, it's funny when you look at uh, what Paul's doing. And, and, you know, it's the kind of thing, uh, you know, you could easily do. And, you know, you're not going to get uh, my dog's my daughter's dog numbers. But it's, it's good discussion, you know, because I think, you know, one of the things about this show, I don't think golfers unless they're led, don't think they think about golf as deeply as they actually do. But when you when you get them started, as you and I have both seen, they love talking about this stuff. Yeah, well, I, I always say that golf's just the metaphor. Golf's just, you can see how you show up on the golf course and draw parallels to how you show up with your daughter screaming at you about the outfit she's chosen that day or something going on at work or, or whatever. We all tend to show up the same way. And when we screw up, you know, what do we do? Well, I tend to call ourselves some very choice names and get caught in the spiral vortex of, of negative thinking that often happens. So because we're so attached to how we want to perform in golf, we can and think a lot. I love what you just said a few minutes ago with Paul. When I go to sleep at night. <laughs> I do. Uh, I, I totally get it. I, I totally think about get that. Honestly, I'm afraid if my girl Rachel says to me, what am I thinking about? Honestly, I'm afraid that the answer is always golf. <laughs> you, the other day it was minus three. The wind was coming sideways and you called me and I said, I can't talk very long. I'm in a field with a wedge. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. But you, you got to be pretty careful there, pal. You know, because like she'd be going like, you know, I think we're moving to a different stage of our relationship. <laughs> yeah. And where do you think that we should take this? And he went, well, I would take it over that bunker. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Where you should take it. Just to, I don't know if I'm going to cut this dog leg or not. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you'll really be awake. 
Oh yes, I, I will tell you that uh, it was a his stuff is just good. Oh yeah, you know, good to think about, and and I like that one in particular because I was thinking about the holes, and they used to have it uh, when I played at the National. I'm sorry to tell everyone I did, but for a, and I think this happens at everyone's home course. For about a year, I had one hole, the eleventh, where I just couldn't get the ball. To not be left of the tree. You know, the one on the left-hand side. It's about 2.30 off the tee. I was yep. behind that freaking tree almost every time. And, and then all of a sudden, because I hit the same club, I hit the st- tried to hit the same style of shot, and everyone has that one at their home course. Like, what, what is it for you at uh, Blue Springs? Uh, number three, uh, it's a dogleg right. I always take a hybrid and try and hit a fade uh, to center left of the fairway. Right. And I... It's, I don't like that hole either. Well, the one in Blue Springs, I can't. It always gets me is 10. I don't know where to hit it. But anyway, oh, yeah. after about a year of hitting it behind this tree, almost every time, I said to myself one day, I said, screw this. I'm going to hit five iron off this tee. I just want to be playing this next shot. It's longer, but I was in the fairway. And you know what? What, he, what Paul was saying about hitting three five irons in a par five, I know your buddies would bug you about it. But you get into a lot less trouble. Um, thanks again to O'ConnorGolf.ca, TheHumbleAndFredShow.com, and of course our friends at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. If you want to hear a little bit more, Tim and I will continue uh, uh, on our podcast. You can check it out on um, on Facebook and uh, maybe one day. iTunes. And iTunes. You can review us and send us a note. All that. It'd be great. Now Subscribe. We'll, we'll see you here on, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll see you here on TSN 1150 in one week's time. Sound of the river, you're stopping your whole everything. A band is blowing Dixie, double fall time. Feel all right. Okay, now we've done our uh, radio show. Now let's we're just, podcasting. Now. now we're podcasting. It's uh, Saskatchewan. I just read this uh, before I got into the studio this morning. Saskatchewan is opening up uh, their golf courses. I think on the fourth uh, of May. I, it looks like here in Ontario around the fifteenth. I've heard. Uh, so the I think the official, unless it's changed in the last day or two, the official end of the emergent state of emergency is the twelfth. So Clublink, uh, which you and I are both involved in, has sent out a note, and most of its golf professionals are working on that uh, premise. Yeah. That after the twelfth, they're going to get going. But, but it's going to be clubhouse closed. Yeah, yeah, all, those, all the restrictions. You can't go yeah, to the golf course. Uh, they can only have a certain number of people. Like 20 minutes, I think, before your tea time. 20 minutes, no range, no food and beverage. So there going to be a security card there? Uh, oh, yeah, I bet there will be. Who are you? Um, Howard Glassman. Uh, you just have to wait in your car yeah. on side road 25 for another five minutes. Sir. Absolutely. I, I said this to you. I said last week, it'll be, you know, like whenever I go to like an invitational, there's always somebody, you know, there sort of checking you in as you arrive in your car. So I don't think it'll be any different. But I know from being on uh, this with my golf nerd friends and the men's night guys, I don't think we are. None of us are going to care. Um, speaking of the national, I just got a note yesterday that the. Uh, annual invite was canceled 
Um, yeah. I don't have any. I noticed. I just looked at my calendar, my tournament schedule. I don't really have any. I had the Better Ball qualifier and the Better Ball, but I don't have much else in May. So I don't know. I was going to ask you if you've heard from them. I, I saw a note from the GAO this week saying, hey, everyone, we're working on it. And when we know, you know, we'll let you know. But I haven't really heard uh, what's going to happen after the end of May. Yeah, I, I don't know. I know that um, it's funny. My brain immediately went to the early bird. I know that uh, a friend of mine who's a member there. The St. Thomas. Canceled. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's canceled, not postponed, canceled. Yeah. Um, but I've played that. I don't know, 10 times. Uh, although this year I wasn't sure I was going to, but that golf course beats the shit out of me. But I oh, love so it. I love that golf course. Golf, oh, amazing golf course. You want to talk about a hole that I don't know if I've ever parred is the second par five on the back nine at St. Thomas. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Like, you, there, there's a lot of carnage on that hole. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what I, I've hit. Hybrid off the tee when I played with the kids. I'm hitting driver. It's not the drive. It's where I don't know where to place my second shot. And just the. And we had talked about it with Paul. There, it's like you described it perfectly. It's like I get on. Once I'm on the fairway there, and I'm. I have all this stuff that comes up about where I've hit it before. That's right. And what happens after that? It's interesting. There's, that's an interesting part three because it kind of meanders. It kind no, of no, goes left. It goes right. It goes back left. No, you said par three. Bit, you said par three. It's a par five. Yeah, that's right. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's um. Oh gosh. Anyways, it's it reminds me of a hole at uh, Highland Links in um, Nova Scotia. Um, it's called Killer Cranky because mm. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a killer of a golf hole. Yeah. But that's what ha- that's what. That's, that really one of the interesting things to me is is that as golfers we tend to get in our we're in our heads we're always always thinking am i doing the right thing but we're not accessing what's actually going on in our bodies yeah and so when we've been in a situation where we've chunked a wedge or bladed a sand shot or launched one into the trees at a subconscious level our body that is revisiting that unless yes. we have kind of overwritten the program so again, back to your business about a tour pro rehearsing a shot. I, I, I think it might have been a little unclear to some people is that they're not, they're just getting that feeling right. until they're right. And they, they feel the grass and they, they know that on this lie, you know, my wedge is going to be feel some resistance because the grass is growing against me and knowing all of that. No, I think that's, that's a good what's point. Going on. What, what amateurs do when they, when I see somebody taking a lot of practice swings, with a higher handicap, I know they're trying to remember what how to hit a how to swing a golf club. They're trying to remember what their swing thought is, and and you see a little bit of that with like the rehearsal that Justin Rose does, or Tiger does that thing to the left. But what we're talking about, folks, is rehearsing the swing you're about to make, not how to swing a golf club. And I, 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 the reason I picked that out is because it's something that I'm going to be more vigilant with in my effort this year to mitigate my higher, like when I have a big hole, I think to myself, what was going on in my brain when those things happen? Um, it's great that I can recover after they do, but it's like when I'm in that situation, what should I do? And I can tell you, I took a triple bogey this will be ridiculous, but two summers ago in a qualifier, I had three holes to go, 
and I chunked my tee shot on a long par three. That was about a, maybe 30 yards short of the green, or I hit it fat. And I had my friend caddying for me, and I it was a, a, a shot over a bunker to a pin off a pretty bare lie. And he came over and he said to me, do you have this? And I was embarrassed to tell him that I didn't, because I didn't have it. I didn't have the shot. And so what I... Because And we talked about it after. So what I did is I rushed it, chunked it in the bunker, sculled it over the green, chunked it, you know, took a penalty, sank a 30-footer for a triple. So great. Good for me. But (laughs) No, I did. And it was cool that I was able to gather myself. But we talked about it after because what I really should have done is admitted, I don't know that I have this shot. It was a difficult shot. What I should have done is chipped it onto the green, but 40 or 50 feet from the flag, two-putted from my bogey and shut my face. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but in the absolutely. moment in the moment things were happening very quickly and i was embarrassed that i didn't know how to hit that shot i would say you were like and what happens for me in those instances is that i'm in my head like what am i gonna do i figure this out blah 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 blah. like you said like you hear the speed of my cadence of my voice and i'm disconnected from my body and and so and I, and I was also, uh, as a man, I guess, whatever, I was, uh, it was, yeah. I, was, I was reticent to admit to my friend, who's a very good player, that at that moment in the round, I, was, I, I only had three holes. Mm. And, and I was well within, you know, I finished triple bogey, par bogey. That was the year that I, 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 I qualified on the number, but because of retrogression, I had to go. I, that was oh, the yeah. so I, I screwed myself up because I really could have just taken a nine iron off that bare lie, aimed, you know, forty five degrees to the right, lots of green there, and and but I, I didn't think admitting that I didn't want to hit this. It was a tough shot. So so what's the lesson in that? What what you know if people come up against that, what would you advise they do? Well, back to what we were saying on the broadcast, like when I, so I'm knowing that is in me, I notice that when those guys have a tough shot, they really look at all their options and you'll hear the broadcasters say, you know, he might just chip this away from the flag and that's a, a, a tour level player. So my takeaway for next time when that happens is I'm, I would have been better off doing what I described and taking a bogey because that bogey would have put me well within the cut line etc. And so mm. I think what I'm going to try and do this year, one of my goals is to really think through what I'm going to do before I do it. You know, I've said this for years, you know, my buddy says, you know, when it's your turn, take your turn. But I really didn't take my turn that day. Yeah, I love that that little nugget of wisdom. Something that I want to just parse a little bit that might people might be confused about is kind of there's a disconnect. So isn't putting kind of like the ultimate you know, in touch and feel and all that. And, and yet we're talking about taking all kinds of rehearsal swings or priming swings, if you will. I love that, by the way. Um, you know, we got a tough lie. We're going to take like 10 rehearsal swings or something and then ready to go. But there's also a school of thought in putting that, that and I do this too. I don't take a putt. I don't take a practice uh, stroke. I. I just get up yeah, me and hit it. And I think part of that is because on a putting green, we always have, it's, it's as close as we're going to come to say a tennis court because the from one green to another, you're not going to have a difference in a major league difference in your lie in, in the grass you're putting on. It's the stroke is not going to be encumbered by anything. So I think in that instance, you can more, it's more of a, of a reaction to target, let the body go. But 
in the short game, again, let's so say you got a downhill lie, I got some tangly bluegrass rough, um, and say it's growing against me. I better have a feeling of how, what kind of resistance is that going to offer to the golf club and feel what's the speed I need to go through yeah. until I have it and I feel it. So, again, difference. There's no thinking about doing it right. It's the feeling I want. And when I got that, then it's go time. You know, Tiger Woods has had the same routine. You know, I've read an article about this where there, you know, you can time his yeah. routine from like 97 to now. Whereas McElroy, you know, he'll take on longer putts. I'll see him back away from the ball making some motions. But when he gets up to the ball, he looks and goes, um, which is kind of what I'm talking about. Like on a 10-foot putt, I don't need to rehearse that feeling. But on longer putts, I'll be away from the ball just feeling some longer sure. motion. But what you just described is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I had a shot. It was off not a dirt bear lie, but a fairly bear lie. The pin was over the bunker. And, of course, as an, an elite player, I should be able to, you know, and it's funny because I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can still drum up some anxiety in my body. When I'm just out with the dog, and if I, because sometimes I'll throw the balls down and play a little game called, you know, kind of bear lie or wherever it lies, and I'll get a similar lie and I'll still go, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh yeah, that shot. But the thing is, Challenge. now I feel like I have that shot. But I will tell you, in a tournament situation, if I'm ever up against that again, I hope I'll have. The ability to say to myself, Howard, just get it on the green. You don't need it. You don't need to hit this close. You just need to not have to chip again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, you know, just to make a, a connection back to Paul around caddying, that's what that's part of what a caddy does. Yep. It's like having a coach who offers you some perspective. I hear what you're saying, Howard, but uh, is this really what you want to do? Well, right. well maybe I could consider this. Like my buddy Paul Henrik, who always used to tell me, you know, there's Howard one and Howard two and Howard, you know, Howard, one of those is the caddy. And you have mm -hmm. to say to yourself, do we need to make par here? Because sometimes like that in that particular situation, again, a golfers were such nerds. I, I remembered so viscerally that that triple bogey put me out of the, the qualifier, but a yeah. double bogey. A double bogey would have been fine. A bogey would have been fine. And if somebody had said to me, a good caddy like Howard, too, had said, listen, man, suck it up. Chip a nine iron over there. Don't even have to get it on the green. Hit your third shot near the hole and make a double. You still get to go and play in the tournament. But if you screw up, do you fire Howard, too? <laughs> listen, man. I, there's been many, <laughs> many a day. Howard, too, used to have me drink a lot, too, and I can't listen to everything he says. That's right. That's All right, right. O'ConnorGolf.ca, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Uh, we'll see everyone next week. Get a shiver in the dark. It's raining in the park. But meantime, some of the river you stop and you hold everything.